Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted, on location from the NFL Scouting Combine in downtown Indianapolis from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined by my colleague Wes Hodkowitz, and once again, special guest Larry McCarron. And guys, one of the positions that the Packers certainly are looking at here at the Combine for the upcoming NFL draft, and free agency for that matter, is the tight end position, Wes. The Packers have only Lance Kendricks under contract at the moment. Richard Rodgers is a pending free agent. We'll see what happens there. What are your thoughts on maybe where this is headed for Green Bay? Well, I thought it was really telling Mike McCarthy when he was meeting with the media back on now Wednesday. He mentioned that they need to increase the competition at that position, obviously. Uh, when, when you go through the amount of injuries that they did last season, uh, give all the credit in the world to Emmanuel Bird stepping up against the Detroit Lions, but that wasn't the way you drew it up when you were at this thing at the beginning of week one. So the best Packer teams historically have had four or five options at tight end because with that body type, it lends itself to special teams, even if they aren't getting the reps on offense. I think they got to get back to that. Richard Rodgers is a guy they're going to have to make a determination on in free agency, but I've been saying all along here, regardless of his situation, I think they still need to draft somebody at that position. And I know one guy that jumped off the page is Troy Fumagalle. He said he'd love to stay in Wisconsin. <laughs> I know Packer fans, Badger fans would love to see him stay in Wisconsin, but a lot of good prospects overall uh, for the Packers to possibly consider. Yeah, Larry, what are your thoughts on just uh, what's going on here at the tight end position for Green Bay? You know what has stood out to me most of this offseason is when I read comments and expert opinions on Lance Kendricks, I get the sense that people think he's a willing blocker, but not a very capable blocker. And I know this may be boring to people that just like touchdowns and stuff, but I, I, I could pull up some tape and show you that guy really kicking some rear end yeah. when it comes to the blocking game. He is willing, but he's also very technically sound. Now, he's a chiseled guy, but body type, he's not a big guy. He's not yeah. a mass guy. He can't can't lay that kind of weight on people, but because of technique, I could just show you some outstanding blocking both against down people, full-grown defensive ends, and downfield against linebackers at the second level. So I just think Lance Kendricks, in that regard, in that specific area of his game, has not gotten his just due. And I know a lot of you don't care, but I care. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. It really is because I think sometimes people just look at the numbers. They just look at the stats, and that is the end of the ball game for them. But it doesn't really tell you the whole tale of things. And I think you look at some of the guys that have been successful in Green Bay, the Bubba Franks of the world, the Donald Lees, guys that were more well-rounded that they can do those multiple things. And we've talked about it time and time again, Mike, with the way that this college game is played now, mm-hmm. the spread offense. Richard Rodgers talked about it with what he was asked to do at Cal. It isn't. There isn't as much inline stuff anymore, so little things like that go a long way, I think. Yeah, and I think as we've talked about, Wes, that's one thing that makes a guy like Troy Fumagalli right. from Wisconsin a very interesting prospect because coming from Wisconsin's pro-style offense, he is a guy who's had to block. He is a guy who's gone downfield to catch passes. Now he's not the most explosive athlete in the world, so you're talking about a mid-to-late-round pick here. You're not talking about a first-round draft pick. But then on the other side of things, also in the Big Ten, from Penn State, Mike Gesicki yeah. is, you know, also like Fumagalli, six foot six, around two hundred and fifty pounds. But this is a guy who's at another level athletically. He's a basketball player in his background, really loves to go up and get the ball. But a guy who doesn't maybe have the the blocking resume that a guy like Fumagalli does. He's a little bit higher rated because of those statistics and what he might be able to do downfield. Yeah. But uh, but two guys from the Big Ten who are getting a lot of attention here. Well, Wes. Mike, when you mentioned a multi-sport athlete playing the position, 
It reminded me of somebody we talked about earlier this week, Hayden Hurst. Right. Tight end out of South Carolina. And he is right at the top of the list. Yeah. Uh, top couple three, maybe fifth at the worst. He's going to be a high draft choice, 6'5", 250. He's running the four sixes. But the thing I saw f- fascinating about him is that he came up as a drafted player in baseball out of high school, signed with the Pittsburgh Pirates for $400,000. He's a pitcher, 6'5", 250. Of course, he's a pitcher. And he signs for $400,000, and he gets to the rookie camp, and slowly but surely, he starts losing it. He gets the what he called the yips, and he no longer has control. His, his hand would be shaken. He got to the point, and this is what he said, he got to the point where he couldn't play catch on the sideline. They'd have to go somewhere else, and, and he still couldn't play catch. He just developed, like I said, the yips, and he stuck with it for two and a half, three years, still in rookie camp all that time. And finally he said, hey, I could play a pretty good game of football when I was in high school. So he enrolls in South Carolina, and, and three years later, he's one of the top tight ends in the draft. And uh, what a resilient story. And another part of it, he had Tommy John surgery <laughs> as an eighth grader. I mean, it was just a remarkable story. Yeah. It has nothing to do with Troy Fumagalli, but it's a remarkable it story. Is. Yeah, well, and you never, you just never know what stories necessarily are behind these guys. Even Gesicki from Penn State, he was a quarterback initially in high school, got beat out for the job, yeah. was going to quit football. Ball, thought he'd be the next Vince Carter on the basketball court, but then had a coach say, hey, why don't you try receiver? Yeah. So he becomes a receiver and decides, hey, I kind of like catching touchdowns. And now here he is, one of the top-rated tight ends coming out of college football, coming out of the Big Ten. Yeah, I thought I was going to be the next Vince Young, too. That didn't quite work out for me. The height wasn't there. but yeah. What do you the- mean? You bench 150. <laughs> I bench 150. <laughs> I heard it here the other day. <laughs> didn't really impress enough scouts, though, for that. But uh, one little last tale I want to tell, Dallas Goddard, uh, tight end coming out of South Dakota State. There's been some good ones that have come out of that program over the years, even though it isn't one of those big power conferences, uh, you know, FBS, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. He had an interesting story, too. He's a guy that could go in the first two days of the draft. He's actually named Dallas because his father is a Cowboys fan, but his mother ended up remarrying when he was eight years old. His stepfather, a Packers fan, ended up turning him over to the Packers. So he said he wouldn't be too disappointed either if Green Bay came calling on draft night. switch his name to Packer? He should, or Green Bay. (laughs) That sounds like a good idea. With that, we're going to go to a break. Back with more from the NFL Scouting Combine right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. From the NFL Scouting Combine, Larry and Mike and Wes here with you. And, uh... Wes, inevitably when we come here every year, there are connections between these prospects who are entering the draft and players who are on the Packers roster. One of those connections that's really pretty interesting, for those out there who really know the Packers roster top to bottom, you'll know there's a six foot six wide receiver who made a little bit of a splash toward the end of 2017. I'm talking about Michael Clark, and his college quarterback from Marshall is here at the Combine trying to make his pitch to get drafted, Chase Litton. Wes, what did you find out about Chase? Well, here's what's interesting about this whole story. These two guys actually played AU basketball together from fifth grade through ninth grade, both Floridians and, and you know, really good basketball players on the court. Well, ninth grade comes around, multi-sport athletes, and, you know, you had that first year, Michael Clark decides to play high school football, and then decides, you know what, I'm going to focus on basketball, ends up going to St. Francis, PA, plays there for a year. Meanwhile, you have Litton, ends up becoming a pretty accomplished quarterback, gets a scholarship, goes to Marshall, starts there for a number of years, and as time goes on, 
Michael Clark decides, you know what, I want to go back to football again. So he places a text message to Litton saying, hey, what do you think? Can we make this happen? He talks to his coach named Doc Holliday at Marshall. Doc Holliday. <laughs> Three days later. Isn't that awesome? Now, wait a minute. <laughs> this, this is almost too much to believe. It's Doc Holliday? Doc Holliday. Is the mom named Miss Kitty or what's going on here? Huh? I, you know, that's, that's is that from the going. same show? I don't I, even that know. Is that that, Gunsmoke? That's Gunsmoke, I don't know. I don't know. Regardless. We'll have to check out MeTV tonight. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. But anyway, <laughs> you have Clark, two, three days later, makes the trip down to West Virginia, starts as a walk-on, semester later, gets a scholarship, ends up leading them in receiving in his only year at Marshall. Now, the interesting part of this as you go forward now is the fact that Linton is actually the one leaning on Clark for advice because yeah. Clark ended up having those two games with the Packers last season. All the intangibles, six foot six. He says that's size that you cannot coach. And also, just strictly unfair, his first three catches at Marshall were all touchdowns. I mean, that's just the kind of athlete Why not? he is. Yeah, throw up the ball and let him go get it. Larry, Michael Clark is such an interesting story, and I'm curious of your view on this because you've seen plenty of guys come and go in Green Bay. This is a guy, he doesn't go to a major college program. He starts as a basketball player, decides to enter the NFL draft after one year of college football, doesn't hire an agent, is going to represent himself. He doesn't get drafted. He goes the undrafted route. By the end of his rookie year, Year, he's on the active roster and playing football for the Green Bay Packers. Have you ever seen anything like this? Well, the thing of it is, that whole process that you detailed right there, it says a couple things. Number one, Michael Clark, a guy with his background, came to the right place. Yeah. They will give free agents a chance to grow and develop. You need that. I mean, a guy like Michael Clark, as Unique as he is in what he brings to the party physically, you need time. You're talking about going from a little a little college football <laughs> to the NFL, yeah. to Aaron Rodgers, to right. the Green Bay Packers and Mike McCarthy's playbook. I mean, you're talking a heck of a transition. So you need a team with personnel people and coaches that have patience. The other thing I think it says is that Michael Clark is a special guy. He's got that, that the right stuff. You right. know, there's, a, there's so many times, like when you're a player and they bring in the young kids and you watch, and the guys, the veterans, they watch. Yeah. And a lot of times they will recognize a player that's got the right stuff, the mystical it, shall we say. Sure. And I'm sure they were looking at Michael Clark this past summer and saying, that kid's going to be a keeper. And sometimes the players actually get that sense before the coaches, yeah. before the scouts. It's just something about it. And you see a kid, how he goes about his business. And, and number one, you have to have ability. Right. Yeah. Wanting to do it, I, I, I don't want to burst any bubbles, but <laughs> wanting to do it is not enough. That's a big start. Right. But God had to be nice to you in the delivery room. He had to give you some athletic ability. It's just the way it is. As you go up the athletic ladder, you need that. You need at least a baseline of ability, especially as you move up to the higher levels. And so he's got that. But then there's also, like I said, that mystical it when it comes to attitude. Is is he that guy that after a couple days of camp and people get sore and tired? Is he the guy starting to make more mistakes? Is he the guy kind of... You know, lackadaisical in his walk to the practice field and stuff like that. I mean, you start looking for little signs, and 
And you also look for signs the other way. Is he the guy that's first in line? Yeah. Is he the guy that doesn't drop passes? Is he the guy that, when it comes to being physical, can stick his nose in there, is not afraid of that kind of stuff? And that's what you saw Michael Clark. And, and as you mentioned, Mike, you know, you sit there and fight the good fight all season long in the practice squad. Nobody knows you even exist right. anymore. Yeah. But every day you're earning your spot on the roster, and every day you're being evaluated. And the kids like Michael Clark who realize that, they're the ones that end up getting that chance. Yeah, and we're, I think we're all very anxious and interested to see just what Michael Clark does in his second season. With that, we'll go to a break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted from the NFL Scouting Combine right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted from the Indiana Convention Center in downtown Indianapolis, the NFL Scouting Combine. Larry and Mike and Wes. And gentlemen, we know the NFL is a cutthroat business. There's not a whole lot of room for sentiment around here, and these teams are going to be going at it in the draft, trying to figure out who these prospects are, ranking them, trying to grab them before the other guys do all of that in a couple of months. But There was a little bit of a sentimental moment, Wes, the other day when Seattle General Manager John Schneider was at the podium, longtime personnel executive for the Packers, friend and confidant of former Packers GM Ted Thompson. He was asked by you. By me, yeah. (laughs) About Ted Thompson's legacy in Green Bay uh, now that he has has stepped aside and made way for Brian Gutekunst. And... uh, the thoughts from Schneider were, were very poignant, very interesting. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing that you have to understand is John Schneider is a Ron Wolf guy. He's He wrote in that letter, you know, asking for an opportunity. Wolf's the guy that gave it to him. But during their time together, he got incredibly close with Ted Thompson in terms of just the, the, the day-in, day-out rigors of the job, but also just from a personal perspective. And, you know, I've talked to him a number of times over the years, and he always says the one thing he learned the most from Ted was just how to handle the job with class. You know, whether it's cutting a player, whether it's the way you run your operation, it's something that he really tried to take with him. Even if, you know, philosophically his, he differs in terms of some of the free agent acquisition stuff, he really took a lot of that from Ted. So given that Ted Thompson's tenure now as GM has come to an end after 13 years, now in that senior advisor role, I wanted to ask John about that. And the first thing he said when I asked him about what Ted's legacy is, he just said, enormous and immediately started breaking up right after that and, and closed it, you know, had a couple nice words for him and closed it by saying we do miss him down here. Um, and, and the big thing, I think, you know, because Ted stayed back, as Brian Gutekunst said, watching film in Green Bay right now, he's obviously still around here. But for these guys, the John Dorseys, the Elliot Wolfs, the Reggie McKenzies, all of them kind of sprout from the Ron Wolf tree, but all of them were, you know, have a, had a pretty big impact made on them by Ted Thompson. Yeah, and when you look at the fact that the Packers have made this big change at the top of their football operation, Larry, for the first time in 13 years, the fact that this transition has gone as smoothly and seamlessly as possible, I've said it before, I think Brian Gutekunst just looks like he belongs in the job. I think that's a credit to Ted Thompson, how he set the table and how he ran things. It's also a credit to Mark Murphy and, and Mike McCarthy and everybody involved at the top of football that really, as much as, as big a change as this is, this is still very much business as usual in Green Bay here at the Combine. You know, when you talk about Ted Thompson and his legacy, and I've seen this happen before, it's going to do nothing. Now, those in the inner circle who really know the business, like you said a moment ago, Wes, his legacy is enormous. But to the Packer Nation and the football, the NFL Nation beyond that, 
of course, anybody in Ted's role takes his, more than his fair share of criticism. Right. I mean, yeah. you didn't draft the right guy. You didn't <laughs> sign enough free agents. That's just the way it is. And I can go back, because I watched it up close and personal. I can go back to Ron Wolf, the Hall of Famer Ron Wolf, that Ron Wolf, okay? Yeah. When he was actually on the job, and keep this in mind as Tam goes on, when he was actually on the job, he got criticized all the time, yeah. all the time. I mean, people picked apart his decisions, his moves, all that good stuff, and, and he was a Hall of Fame caliber GM. He officially became one a couple of summers ago, but right. <laughs> he was always operating at that caliber, and yet he got more than his fair share of criticism. Now, we've seen the same thing with Ted Thompson, and we've seen, despite the fact that the Packers went to playoffs eight years in a row, that they went to several NFC championship games. Yeah. I mean, in the NFL, that is the Final Four, and yeah. that they won a Super Bowl championship. Despite all those things the Green Bay Packers accomplished under Ted Thompson's leadership, he still got his share of criticism. Right. However, as time goes on, will, there will come a time when people, and it won't be in the too distant future, talk about Ted Thompson in a golden era right. of Green Bay Packer football. I mean, you, can, you can see it coming, and they're going to talk about whenever a situation, and it'll happen, that a decision will go south. I mean, when you're betting on people, it's a tough bet. Right. There'll be a situation going, and people will start quoting chapter and verse, something Ted Thompson did in a similar situation <laughs> that worked out just fine. Right. And like, a very good point about a seamless transition. And I thought something that spoke volumes in that regard was the Packers hosted a little lunch for the local writers. Yep. Uh, and part of that lunch was being able to talk in an informal setting with head coach Mike McCarthy and... Packers GM Brian Gutekunst and those two guys were sitting there and it's not that Ted and Mike didn't have a comfort level yes. of course they did this thing worked and worked real well for a long time but I had never seen the GM and the head coach in that kind of setting right, right. sitting side yeah. by side fielding questions and you talk about the transition there was a, a, a just a a comfort level that you couldn't pretend I mean that that couldn't be fake there was just a real solid comfort level and as you said Mike that goes back to Mark Murphy's call Ted Thompson the whole culture Brian Gutekunst Mike McCarthy the whole culture is in the right place because that's when those things happen yeah it's definitely genuine I agree with you Larry with that we've got to get to a break back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this Welcome back to Packers Unscripted from the NFL Scouting Combine. Larry and Mike and Wes. And guys, a lot of prospects have come through here over this last week and through the weekend while we've been here. Packers related or not, is there any one guy that just really jumps out at you that intrigues you for any one reason or another? Well, I really like these lengthy edge rushers uh, because they give you that elephant-type look, and, and that's something I think is still going to be really prevalent in this defense under Mike Pettin. And for that reason, Sam Hubbard's the guy that I've kind of pinpointed so far. Comes from a good program at Ohio State. I love his size at 6'5", 265. Uh, that just seems to be the prototype for being able to do a lot of different things with these guys. But you look at Arden Key, too. He's 6'6". I mean, uh, obviously the, the one that jumps off the page for everybody is 
Marcus Davenport, you know, on the height that he brings to the table. Uh, so many different things you can do with them, whether you're rushing them off the edge, three-point stance, you know, going off the two-point stance, so many different, you know, options with those guys. But Hubbard is a guy, I think, with his pedigree, how productive he was. I think it was seven sacks his, his last season with Ohio State. You know, potentially, you know, where he's going to be in day two or maybe day three could be a middle-round option if they don't take one right off the bat. Yeah, one guy I'm really interested in, and it really has nothing to do with the Packers necessarily, but it's uh, Shaq Griffin, the linebacker from Central Florida. Now, his twin brother Shaquille was drafted by the Seattle Seahawks last year, and Shaq has, uh, he's missing basically the lower part of one of his arms. Yeah. And you wonder, okay, how in the world are you supposed to tackle that way? Then you look at his college tape at Central Florida it's amazing what the guy does he, he can make every play he doesn't stop he's got a motor motor that doesn't quit then you try to figure out okay will this translate to the NFL a guy like Saquon Barkley who's running a 4-4-40 and doing almost 30 reps on the bench and a 40 plus inch vertical jump how is a guy like Griffin supposed to tackle a guy like Barkley in the NFL I don't know how it's going to work but his story to me is absolutely amazing I'm really intrigued to see where his career goes from here yeah, and I think you could sum it up this way. Not just a good story. He's a good football player. He is. And yeah. he's proven it, as you mentioned, against top-notch competition. Yeah, yeah and one other thing sure. to consider, too, he's he's been missing that that hand since fourth grade. Or four, four years old, excuse me. So, I mean, wow. he's been doing this his entire life. That builds up a lot of different things that, you know, that help him as well. Yeah, and we'll see here as the as the Packers now get prepared for the draft. Wes, you mentioned a bunch of the uh, the pass rushers. We'll see what they maybe try to find in terms of cornerbacks, tight ends. Twelve draft picks is a lot, isn't it, Larry? Yeah, it is. And I think Brian Gutekunst made a very good point when talking about those 12 picks. Compensatory picks can be traded gives you a lot of flexibility, a lot of ammunition. Yeah, and with that, we're going to call it a wrap on Packers Unscripted and from our on-location coverage from the scouting combine. Thanks to Larry and Wes. I'm Mike. We'll see you next time.